The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Back to the short game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Regan Kelly, and I am joined this week by two excellent tenants, Nate Heininger, and on the second floor, Shane Kelly. <laughs> and we are talking this week about Luck Be a Landlord, a roguelike deck builder. Doesn't really feel like it. Co- like that's the thing about. We'll get into it. This game is is a roguelike deck builder but doesn't really feel like one to me in some pretty interesting ways so we're gonna be talking about it today yeah i'm really glad that we're that we're covering this game i had a really good time with it but i do think it's interesting that it calls itself a roguelike right it's like the it's like the first def- word in the definition of it like in the in the you know in the blurb underneath its uh, spot in the, in the steam shop and it's like it's a pretty loose translation of what a roguelike is in that I guess like you are starting over all of the time, but it has almost no other relationship with, with what you think of for uh, roguelike. But um, deck builder, I think is pretty interesting. It- yeah. I'm going to read the steam description because I think it's both interesting and also useful. Um, Luck be a landlord is a roguelike deck builder about using a slot machine to earn rent money and defeat capitalism. This game does not contain any real-world currency gambling or microtransactions, which I think they put in just to head off the first concern that anyone is going to have when they pull up a game on Steam and the main graphic is a slot machine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a it's a weird one. It, it's, a, it's a slot machine mechanic game, kind of, but <laughs> yeah, okay. Nate, in a way. explain this. <laughs> the... The hey, the mechanics wait, of the game are pretty. Before simple. Before we get into things, before we get into things, Reagan almost forgot to do his famous patented enforced. Oh, are you asking a question again? Okay, mandatory banter. Mandatory banter uh, oh, this shit. week. Uh, the uh, the uh, related mandatory banter. Before we get into uh, discussing luck, be a landlord. I wanted to ask. This isn't so much of a gaming related question, more just a life question. What is your worst? experience that you've had renting or with a landlord i've got one um so this isn't renting like a place to stay but it was uh for was renting a studio for our band of practice and it was cool as this like old warehouse that had been converted into a um into a like a a, just a building full of practice spaces bands and artists and whatnot would rent out the the spaces and it was it was pretty cool uh until one day when it rained a ton and turns out our studio room which was in the basement was not uh fully watertight and it poured i yeah we weren't there we don't know how much uh, water actually like went through our room, but enough that it basically soaked like the bottom layer of all of our instruments, everything. Uh, fortunately, nothing was too badly damaged, but basically like all of our cases, like my uh, my drum bags, everything were just soaked and some of it was ruined. Uh, and tell you what, they did not give a shit. (laughs) So, uh, that's where the bad, you know, landlord came in because would have expected some sort of, uh, you know, uh, reimbursement, um, pretty shitty to rent to bands and places that use people that use a lot of electronics into a room that is apparently able to be full of water. Um, (laughs) And we did not keep our studio there for very much longer after that. It was very frustrating. I had a kind of a similar thing with mm-hmm. like a leaky roof that's sort of spoiling the 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 story, but it we we had uh we were living in this really garbagey um uh like 
half of a house that had been split in half and rented to two people in um uh in the bay area in california and you know we just couldn't afford much of a place and we were there with our little dog and after we moved in we kept thinking that he was peeing in the kitchen (laughs) and we were like (laughs) Taking it, we find a puddle in the kitchen. We take the poor dog in there. We'd shove his nose in it because it's just a re- recurring problem. It's just like constantly getting water in the kitchen. And uh, and after a while, we realized that he wasn't peeing in the kitchen. It was oh, a leaky roof. No. It was dripping, dripping yellow water from the roof. We finally caught it happening, and oh, I no. felt so bad. <laughs> was this your? This was poor Dracula. Yes, it was. Oh, it was oh, poor Dracula. Poor, poor Dracula. Rest in peace, oh, King. R.I.P. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. He was. He was all right, but he must have been so confused why we were so mad at him about this water accumulating in the kitchen that had nothing to do with him. Oh, so did you shove your head into a toilet afterwards? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. No, he did it to me. It was there. You it was go. His revenge. I comparatively, I've I've had such uh, tame experiences. I I have been blessed with a lot of really uh, good places to live in my life uh you know and i've had some sweetheart deals from uh from from people in fact but um so but i i guess the only bad experience i've really had renting was the time it was the middle of the night and a car slammed into my apartment (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's pretty bad that's not Uh, You know, I can't blame the landlord for that one. We were right there by uh, by Bissonette and a, 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 a drunk guy, I guess, just like slammed into the wall. Man, you know, uh, it was fine. <laughs> they had it fixed up pretty quick. That's the best part of landlords is you can call them when something in the house breaks. And uh, now that I have no landlord, I must be the one who is summoned. And yes. I, agree, I live in fear that another driver will come out of nowhere and hit yeah. my domicile. Now you are your own landlord. Indeed. This is the tragedy of homeownership. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, um, good. We can all hate each other. because uh, we, are, <laughs> we are all uh, landlords of our own land. I hate you. It's good to be. It's good to have land. And uh this game certainly has an opinion on landlords, which is <laughs> yeah, which is one of the one of my favorite parts about this game. It has a, a <laughs> sense of, sense of humor about itself that it does. I, I think is is pretty satisfying. Yeah, and, can I say when I first heard the title of this game, I thought it was going to be a landlord simulator where you have to be a landlord. Just I don't know why, based on yeah. something about the the way that it looked, I was like, I don't, and I was like, I don't want to be a landlord. <laughs> yeah, it was not appealed, not appealing. But um, when I found out more about what the game is actually about, it's a weird title. Luck be a landlord. I get. I, I see how compared they get to what that. you're actually doing in the game, which is like, uh, I want to collect cats, or <laughs> yeah, I I want to get dwarves to drink wine. You I'm know? trying. I'm trying to take down my landlord yeah i think it's the pun yeah, the, was the, too the landlord good. theming it's a great really title weird because it, yeah, yeah it, what's really strange about this game is like you could take the landlord and anti-capital you know the anti-landlord anti-capitalist theming out of this and the gameplay would be a hundred percent left alone like the there's it's really weird to me that it's like okay okay you've got this um wild uh crazily extendable um collection of of uh of items that go into a slot machine that you're pulling and getting weird you know weird uh weird interactions between the the we haven't even really explained these mechanics yet guys can i can i do that yeah yeah, but what i'm I'm trying to say is that like the 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 whole um slot machine mechanic there's nothing that reads landlord about that it's like you're using a slot machine to make rent money and that is how the game is is tying in this landlord idea uh, the landlord thing doesn't really feel in intri- apart from the fact that you you know you have these this cost like this this cost that keeps going up it doesn't really feel like a yeah. landlord game it feels like a slot machine game with with like yeah. <laughs> with like very opinionated landlord theme I, I have yeah. some thoughts on that uh, I I think ultimately the game's design isn't like super tied to the concept that it you know implies with the name and and some of the descriptions it does it does have a lot of you know, text that shows up for you that that tries to kind of that is more integrated with that idea. 
uh, and what I guess you'd consider the message of the game. But I actually really like how um, flippant the game is with its present, with, with its premise. Uh, but ultimately, the game is still manages to feel extremely personal because of all of the content in it being so um, can personal to the to the creator of the game. And this is this guy is uh, sort of the example that I would give of like what I love people doing on itch.io, right? Making these little personal games uh, that really are cool, fun, little often free or, uh, or little tiny experiences here. The, the whole theme of the landlord thing, like it's great. And I, and I loved those moments where it really surfaced in the game, but it's surprisingly a small part of it. That said, it's such an engaging little slot machine. It, yeah, slot machines work on my brain. I, <laughs> I actually, I think it's the the landlord theming and the jokes are what actually took it mm. into a like from a oh this is a fun little like toy into I thought an actual like interesting game because the more you play it too and the deeper you get, the more challenging it gets and the more the landlord actually becomes kind of a, a part of it but it starts yeah. out very very light um, i think i think one thing to think about with it is that like if it w- if it didn't have this very uh, explicitly anti-capitalist ex- you know anti-landlord um kind of theming maybe the slot machininess of it would feel more like sketchy you know what I mean? Like, like slot machines are inherently kind of exploitative. And if this a game, if this was a game about celebrating the feel of pulling a slot machine, you know, even if it's not a real money gambling game, it might have not felt like, yeah, it, it might have felt different to me. You know what I mean? I have one big thing to say about the feeling of pulling a slot machine. This game did not assign the the button is Y to pull the slot machine, not one of the triggers. So you feel like you're pulling the one armed bandit. Come on. That is true. Yeah. They really I mean, done it with a trigger. I would argue the entire act of it being a slot machine is also just part of its branding um, because true. I don't this game. It doesn't really act like a slot machine and you're not rewarded in the same way that a slot machine rewards you either. It is an entirely separate like setup i think it's a it's a sort of deck building game that then had a slot machine wrapper put on it and then had the landlord element put on top of that too to bring yeah, it all together it's, it's sort of like it's sort of like just trying to say like hey capitalism is a rigged casino kind of yeah kind of thing it, you're right it, it, it could have gotten uh, it, it could have gotten by even without the the slot the, machine theming yeah wanted to it's, it's not really a slot machine in the way that like, let, let's set up the game. And yes. Then we can, somebody talk and, about the, so, uh, the can mechanics. I, now can I talk, talk about, about the stuff. basics? Yes. So yes. Um, when you start the game, you're pulling a slot machine and that slot machine has five wheels on it. And I think each wheel shows five things. So you've got a four. grid Four it's, things. It's five by four. So five 20, by four, 20 total. Uh, and uh, so it's mostly going to be empty and you get five items. Uh, and when you pull the slot machine, those items are going to give you a coin each, right? Um, and every time you pull the slot machine, you also get to pick another item to add to your wheels. And they're just kind of all going to be thrown out there randomly. Um, and if you're going to keep up with the ever-increasing rent, then you need to increase the value that you're getting every time you pull that slot machine. And uh, you do that by combining or... Uh, by combining different symbols or by, you know, just getting symbols that give you more value each time you pull the, uh, the slot machine. That's about it. Yeah. So there's, if you think of it, so five by four, there's 20 spaces and where it doesn't really work like a slot machine is that as long as you're under 20 total symbols, like Shane said, you start with like five or six, every time you pull the handle, um, all of them show. They're all there. It's not like you're getting a random assortment. You're getting all of them. And then once you exceed 20 symbols, at that point, you're going to start getting a random pull of the 20. That Um, kind of threw me at first because I'm used to the idea of slot machine symbols being on physical wheels. 
That's right. just what I imagine. I've actually had very few interactions with actual physical slot machines. I don't know about you guys, yeah. but well, I uh, worked in a casino for a year and a half. So this, that's yeah, right. I, unfortunately, <laughs> I am very familiar. Yeah, but you were a deal. You were you were dealing cards, man. Well, yeah, yeah. But you know what is forever <laughs> baked into my mind is the like constant bingling, ding, 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 because my my. Uh, Take you know the table games uh, casino is ninety percent slot machines so anything you're doing in a casino you are surrounded by slot machines even if you have nothing to do with the slot machines so I have been uh, around a lot of slot machines in my life but but yeah so they don't actually work like that you're not assigning a symbol to a specific part of the wheel it could show up anywhere there's mm-hmm. five across it, one spin it might be in the center left. You spin again, that exact same symbol may be in top right. So as Shane said, they start out with like really mundane, not a lot of value. There's like a cat face, a uh, like a little flower. Um, Each every time it shows up, you get one coin and you'll have a certain set of spins before the rent is due. So the game starts and it's something like you have six spins to accrue 50 coins and usually you're going to get that just, you know, there's, you're going to get it every time because there's five or six symbols and you get five or six coins every spin and you get six spins. So you're going to get that. But then after that, it's 50 coins in six spins. And the only thing that has fundamentally changed is the selections you've made. Every time you're done with a spin, you have a chance to add three, uh, one of three items or one of three symbols. And those symbols have a rarity, uh, quality to them there's common uncommon rare and very rare and they all have their own benefits and where the game gets really interesting and complicated is that pretty much every symbol has an interaction with upwards of like from one to 25 ish different symbols so i i talked about the uh one of the starting ones is a flower there is a symbol that is a raindrop that raindrop on its own. If it just shows up uh, with nothing around it, it gives you one coin, but if it's adjacent and adjacent means completely touching it, uh, touching another symbol, either left, right, up, down, or, or diagonally that rain cloud or that rain symbol gives you a bonus. If it's touching the flower, and the flower gives you a bonus. So all of a sudden, where you would have gotten two coins, you're now getting four if they happen to show up next to each other on that spin. And there is an increasingly complex series of symbol uh, combinations because by the end of the game, you're paying rent. Uh, the final rent that's due is 777 coins. And it's not a lot more of spins. I think like the last round, you get 11 or 12 spins before the rent is due. And you have to pay you know, almost 800 coins. So the whole game is finding these synergies and hoping you get the luck of the draw, which is where it's exactly like a deck builder. You're trying to make the right choice, make the right compounding choice so that when you spin, your little combos are all triggering off of each other. And because 20 symbols show at a time, think of it as a deck builder, but you're playing 20 cards all at the exact same time. And that is so that's such a good uh, explanation of the fun of this game, because yeah. I, I was I was reading the description of what this game actually was. And as soon as I realized, like, oh, it's like a slot machine with like customizable symbols uh or like draftable symbols i i thought well okay this seems like it'll be it'll be fun but i end up si- end up sink- sinking hours and hours into this game and it's exactly yeah. that feeling of like <laughs> dumping so, your hand of cards yeah, every time and, you pull that lever and that is where i think it is it has that slot machine quality because like i do think he could have done this it could have been a tile flipping game they could have been cards been dice could have been, been dice. dumping things out of a bag yeah, it could have been a bunch of different ways but i do think uh that experience of of all the little things spinning and then what happens is all your symbols show and they shake and make a little noise every time a combo hits and then it goes like 
bing, 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 and all your money adds up in the corner. I do think that that has a similar like dopamine rush to a slot machine because you have no idea how it's going to end. And then just they all fly out on the screen and it's just bing, 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 you know, especially later in the game when you're getting hundreds of coins on a single spin. It's it's pretty addicting. Yeah. And it is like. Like I, I haven't worked out the math, but like by the end, you know, if you are hit, if you are needing to hit like seven hundred something coins on a small number of spins, like that means like by the end of a run, you basically have to have like at least some kind of synergy on practically everything on yeah. your on your board, um, and that's but it's possible because you have this enormous pool of symbols to be pulling from. Like you can you can um, you, you can talk Nate about like you know, what your strategy was about like when to take a symbol, when to leave a symbol, but like you're constantly being offered the ability to take new symbols. You can yeah. re-roll the symbols that you're offered uh, a limited number of times in order to like try to get something that's going to synergize well with what you have. There's no, as far as I know, upper limit to the number of symbols you can put in your bag, although you probably don't want to go above a certain amount. Otherwise you're just yeah. going to have a mess. Um, but so like, I, it, it gives you a lot of opportunity to build these synergies. I, I, I haven't actually added it all up, but um, by the time the game is done and you, you can, you win after you pay 777 coins and the landlord, you chase them away and they go to the next level and it makes it more difficult, but I'll talk about that in a minute. But ultimately you, you, I think you have somewhere around like 75 spins so roughly 75 times you can add another symbol. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity to add symbols. Um, but that's not where the, the synergy ends. The synergy that really allows you to get to that, uh, to those really high numbers is there's an item system as well, um, which they're very much it's all about like, combos. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, this is becoming more and more popular in these types of games. I, it's a lot like Slay the Spire's relic system, where these items are generally hyper specific to a combo. You know, it'll be like the the combo I used before, the rain cloud and the flower. It'll be like a sun item, and it's every time a a uh, your your rain and your flower are next to each other you now get a multiple uh, 2x the amount of coins that you would have gotten. So if you have that item and that combo hits, you now are getting eight coins or or even more if you have some other combos that pair together. Um, so everything like accentuates each other. And what you're really trying to do, at least what I aim to do, is the sort of classic deck building strategy, which is you... you pick out a couple synergies and you just go hard at maximizing those. So every spin, because you know, 20 symbols are going to show, um, you try to make it where just exactly those symbols are, or exactly those combos are hitting every single time. But by the time the game's done, you might have 15 different items and 40 different symbols. And it's just an insane, you know, Bing, 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 bing is everything uh, hits off of each other. Um, and it's it's pretty satisfying. It's it's kind of like. Um, it, it's kind of like building a combo deck in magic. Reagan's going to ring yeah. the bell at me I, I, <laughs> I, every time I, I want to say. But this I do think this game is genuinely uh, inspired by magic in that way like in there's an explicit reference to uh a magic card called dark depths in one of the emails that you get from the um uh what is it though like i forget how those may those messages are 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 termed uh at a certain number of spins you get an email from um some organization that's giving you rent assistance yeah it's like a mutual assistance yeah yeah or something like that and they're they're like so you get an email from the landlord that's saying rent is from rent is due. Then you get an email from like a counter group that's trying to bring down capitalism and they want to help you yes. pay your rent. <laughs> Hello, comrade. Your local mutual aid network has heard of your rent situation. 
to help with your trials, we are giving you two reroll tokens and two delete tokens uh, to help <laughs> you defeat your landlord. Stay strong. Commie McConrad at bouncy.mail. Which, yeah. uh, somebody shoot an email to commie underscore McComrade. Uh, but it's it's in these messages that they also have a, a postscript from the developer uh, himself. And they'll tell you things like the, the one where the uh, kind of eldritch beast looking one, I forget what this token is called, uh, says, was designed after a trading card. Can you figure out which one? Hint, it was printed in 2016. I believe that is the uh, Merit Lage. Uh, which is a token 2020 flying indestructible creature uh, <laughs> from Magic the Gathering. That's uh, created by a land called Dark Depths. So, uh, so yeah. Anyway, I mean, there's a direct there's a direct Magic reference in this <laughs> game. So we you, had Shane. to give we had to give Shane his moment. But that's what I was talking about at the start. Like I said, how I liked how kind of jokey but also personal this is. Uh, there are little references to the guy's other games. My favorite thing in this game is the three items that are those like synergistic items that are the developer's three real life pets. Uh, and one of them is a cat named Pizza, which I adore. Yeah. Uh, and a couple of rabbits. Uh, anyone who keeps rabbits as a pet is uh, is good people in my opinion. <laughs> um, I, I like how the game too, it starts out, you get, you know, the rent is due and it's all like you probably after a little it it shouldn't take you too terribly long to win your first game um but of course your mileage may vary um depending on your experience with these sorts of games um but that's just really a beginning because after you pay your full run of rent for the first time the landlord runs to the second floor and now you start all over um but the rent is going to be slightly higher. And if you beat them again, he goes to another floor and the rent is going to slowly increase. And now suddenly the game is going to start with uh, like blocker symbols. Whereas before all the symbols that you had were good, just maybe not synergistic. Now they're implementing symbols that are just bad and you have to have them in your hand. And there's, they they will go away after a lot of spins, but there's nothing else you can do about them. And it just slowly increases the difficulty. It reminded me a lot of um, a game I've already mentioned, but the ascension process in Slay the Spire, where like the difference between one level and the one right before it is not going to be very much. But once you've ascended five or six levels, it's a pretty different game. It's considerably more challenging. Um, I don't think you guys made it this far, but there is actually a story arc kind of with the please landlord. Okay, yes, please, please illuminate us because yeah, I did not. I know uh, Shane got a lot farther with this than I did. I did. Oh, we got to floor not, two. <laughs> yeah, I did not do well with this one. This game's at actually all. pretty hard. I, I made it to floor ten, and it it gets there. There's a whole other element with the items too, where you start getting essences and the items are super powered. So this game is actually far more uh, like dense than it even seems right out of the gates, uh, which I appreciated. And you get to the point where you're actually directly fighting the, the landlord and he has HP. And every time you spin, you're trying to bring down the HP. It's pretty funny. That's uh, awesome. And you, you will, uh, when you win, you execute the landlord. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Did you guys look at the, on the main menu, there's a stats page. No, uh, I haven't gone in there. Uh-huh. The stats, the stats page is really funny because it starts tracking just really silly things. There's a lot of really funny combos in this game. So like um, there's a, a symbol that is beer and there's a symbol that is wine. And then there's a symbol that's a dwarf. And anytime the dwarf lands adjacent to beer or wine, it destroys the beer or wine symbol and you get like a really big bonus. Uh, And then in the stats page, it will tell you how many gallons of beer and wine you have drank while playing this game. (laughs) Uh, And once you start on the point where the every game you play, you're trying to kill the landlord. There's a stat that just says, landlords executed 
and on that, you know, we were talking about the anti-capitalist element of it too. There's a there's a, a symbol that's there's a, it's the billionaire. Yeah, that one I have a, seen. Yeah, there's a ton of uh, like characters. There's billionaire. There's the gambler. There's miner. There's a bunch of different stuff. But uh, there's an item called the guillotine. And what the guillotine does is it instantly kills the billionaire every time it shows up and you get a huge dollar, you get a huge coin bonus. It's actually a really good combo and I'd recommend going for it if you get it. So you get the guillotine as an item and then every time you get the option to add the billionaire, you add it and it will kill it the first time it shows up and you get a big coin bonus. And then in... uh in your stat sheet, there's also like billionaires guillotined and it tracks how many of those you've done. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, you heard it here. Uh, Nate endorses beheading the wealthy. At least billionaires. I think I legitimately do. Billionaires, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think maybe I can agree with you. No good billionaires. All of the little guys that you could add to the wheel that break something like your dwarf or, you know, the, the, the guillotine or, uh, you know, I think my favorite was the toddler. Uh, mm-hmm. Anybody who's out there or the miner, of course, breaking the geodes, any of the symbols that break stuff seemed like they were a pretty good strategy that you could really lean into. Yeah. Yeah. Because what happens is when you when it breaks it, you usually get a huge bonus. And then it also just takes it off the board. So you're keeping mm-hmm. your your board relatively clear and you can just keep adding um, you know, items to be broken and that should that combo should hit more regularly because it's clearing it. So like the toddler, every time a, a candy symbol or it's like a bubble symbol or something like that shows up next to so it, it destroys it and you get like fifteen gold. And so mm-hmm. you can that's what you're looking for, right? Are those combos that are repeatable and give you a, a good amount of, of coins. The way all the symbols interacted would produce some really funny moments for me too. Like um, there's a chicken and the chicken is, is there's a chicken and a chick and an egg. And if you have an egg, it'll eventually hatch into a chick and turn into a chicken and then lay eggs. Right. And then uh, there is another, uh, symbol that's the farmer. I really love the farmer. It just like increases yeah. the the value of a lot of various barnyard items, right? So I had yeah. I was going all in on the farmer strategy. So of course I pick up the chickens, uh, but then eventually the chickens multiply themselves so fast that you, all you have is farmers and chickens. Yeah, and uh, and you kind of get you kind of get swamped with it. None of your other good symbols come up. Yeah, every chicken has a 10% chance to lay an egg. And then that egg will likely eventually become another chicken. And so, yeah, you just end up with, by the end of the game, especially if you collect, if you picked a bunch of eggs or chickens at the beginning of the game, you end up with a ton of them. But like you said, if you get the farmer and then there's items that like boost those, I had a game that I won on just going on a purely bird focused uh-huh. strategy there was like, like a bird house that makes every yeah. bird worth more see that yeah. it's it's the combos that you really have to go for in this game and and yeah. if you don't have multiple overlapping ones then you won't get all that way ultimately i think like if we are talking strategy a little bit i think what worked for me is trying to pick two to four like combo sets that i could focus on and then skipping everything else. If it didn't match my combo, unless it was like an incredibly valuable um, symbol that was, like, it, it'll say very rare on it, I would just skip. And I, I found myself skipping far more than taking symbols because that was that was the advice that really started making the game work a little better for me. Because when I was first going through it, like with most roguelikes, I think I usually default to taking stuff, um, you know, maybe like 60, 40, at least, and, and usually more because at, at least early in the game, you're usually like looking for resources that you can use. You don't have, you don't have access to much. You need more. Right. And with this game, with, with so many slots on each board, it just seemed like, well, why wouldn't I take additional I- items? Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Just fill it up, man. 
and then um but there's not really a there's not really much facility for replacing items you have to destroy them in order to sort of make more room and yeah, yeah very soon i was i was being overwhelmed with useless stuff that was only giving me one coin a spin mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah I, er, early good advice that nate gave me was uh you know don't do that and you know uh, err on the side of not taking mm-hmm. new symbols it's instead. gonna offer you a lot of stuff that like gives you one coin yeah. anytime it shows up and doesn't do anything and there's just yeah. no point in taking that even yeah, from, even right from the start in most cases most symbols are common and most of them are mm-hmm. very weak by themselves they're only going to be worth it if you have this one of the combo pieces this is something i really liked about the drafting element of it you know you see three mm-hmm. items you choose one or you can re-roll if you have a token or you can just say skip right and but each one of those things it's presented very clearly you see what the item is uh you crucially you see if it's rare common uncommon whatever um so you can really take that into account and consider if it's something's common you're probably going to see it again if it's rare you're probably not going to see it again you know yeah and and drafting your selection of, of 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 symbols that way you know, it's really, really satisfying. It scratches the same itch as drafting Magic the Gathering, yeah. uh, a Wizards of the Coast product, uh, <laughs> subsidiary, of, subsidiary of Hasbro Incorporated. That's well, and that's why I think like this, this the description of this as a deck builder is very apt. Yeah, um, it's not cards, but like we said, it very well could have been. Uh, but much of the same strategy applies. And generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, in, in deck builders, you want a tighter, like highly effective deck rather than a bloated thing where you're never pulling your high value cards, right? Um, so that's where like one of my favorite combos, it was um, doing basically like mining, focusing on mining because the what it does is you have a miner and anytime it's next to an ore, it breaks the ore and that miner gets 20 gold. And the reason I like it is that the ore is a common item. So it's showing up all the time. So you constantly have this opportunity to add the ore. So it'd break and then you'd get the money. And then the ore also has a chance to um, reveal like a high value gem. And so you get this sort of system going where you're taking the ore whenever you get it it's breaking and then hopefully you're getting even something more valuable from it. Um, and so, yeah, it's like depending on your comfort and your experience with deck builders will really guide, I think your um, sort of how quickly you understand how this game works and how to maximize your, your strategy. Cause it's very, very identical instead of playing two or three cards though, you're playing 20 at a time. So it's kind of, uh, you know, max deck builder. Um, but I said it at the beginning, the description where it says it's a roguelike is like, I don't get that as much because, uh, you know, it's like every game is a roguelike. If you think like, is Tetris a roguelike? I don't know. I know the mm-hmm. definition of roguelike is super vague and I try not to get too caught up in like, <laughs> you know, a lot of people it, boil it down to you start over. Yeah, and I guess so, you know, but like I think the the modern definition of roguelike yeah. is there's something that you carry over and like you're improving yourself every run uh and that's not how this game works at all. It is truly starting over and it's just slightly more difficult mm-hmm. if you yeah. in the last one. <laughs> no progression system is the is the uh kind of <laughs> yeah. pseudo definition of roguelike that this is hewing to. Yeah, but I mean even like you know, again, Slay the Spire, you're unlocking cards as you play. So yeah. like you're, you're getting new access to stuff, even mm-hmm. though the game is exactly... There's none of that. Just when you die, it's completely starting over. Um, but I'm not trying to be nitpicky. It's fine. I just thought... I think it's like a little misleading. If you see roguelike deck builder, like, kind of. <laughs> you yeah. know, there's, there's, it gets the point across. But yeah. I do think we all three went into this game with some kind of misapprehension about what ultimately the experience was going to be. And that's a little telling. Yeah. But I mean, ultimately, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Another thing yeah. I really like, uh, I don't care about achievements, but I like it when they when games use them for opportunity to either make jokes 
or highlight absurd situations. And that's what this game has chosen to use achievements for. Um, and that one popped for me that I like could not believe that they had like pre-expected would even happen and then give you an achievement for it. So there's a, um, there's a, a bird symbol. It's called the magpie. And every time it shows up, it takes away one coin from you. But every five spins, you get nine coins. So it's a net plus four. So it's a, you know, it's a valuable symbol, especially if you compare it with other things. But I had a spin where my total amount that I needed was 100 gold. And my spin landed with the magpie on it. It took away one gold. And my total amount that I got from that was 99. So I missed the land the the rent by one gold be, you know ostensibly because i my magpie showed up on that spin and there was an achievement for missing rent by one gold when the magpie is on your board and that cracked me up there's a ton of good like you know the the achievements reward absurd synergies or absurd situations that come from this game and I appreciate that because it also tells me they probably did a ton of testing over and over and over just to see what insane things might come up. So I've been interested to see that this this is a game that like it has the feel of like one of these like weird little tiny things on itch.io, which I believe is where it began. And it was it, it was then sold in early access on Steam for a while. And the, the version that we all played, it exited early access uh, in early January of this year. Um, and so, uh, it, it still has the sort of feeling and, uh, it, to be honest, kind of look of like, you know, like a, like a jam game or like a weird little itch, you know, indie, uh, thing. Right. Uh, and as far as I can tell, it's this dev's first, um, steam release he's had a, a handful of other things that he's released on his itch.io page um but it does seem like this game has really sort of found an audience um this the steam page seems busy lots of reviews lots of uh, discussion um uh, it's uh, selling for you know they they upped the price when it exited early access and it is now 9.99 uh the princely sum of 9.99 it has uh what appears to be a modding community it ha- it supports steam workshop and uh you can download mods for this game that i haven't gone through and looked at what they do but my guess would be there you know adding additional items or what have you to the game uh which i think would be a fun way to extend the enjoyment of this once you've maxed it out like nate seems to eminently be about to do um, uh, i really like that there's one that turns all the characters into uh kirby that's fantastic <laughs> there's uh there's 20 floors so i'm only halfway in but it's oh. it's it's gotten incredibly complicated at floor 10 so um yeah they, there's a mod option right on the on the main page and uh yeah i've been it's been nice to see how well this game has been received and you said, um, you know, it has the appearance of a game jam game. And I, and I, I do agree with you. You know, it's very simple artwork. But, for, but I will say that um, for a game like this, where it is just flinging 20 symbols all at one time right in front of you, um, you know, what you're prioritizing there is readability. And I think this game is incredibly readable. Once you've gotten into it, it it you can absorb what has happened on the board very quickly because all of the symbols are i believe are are incredibly distinct and you know pretty clear what it is that they're doing mm-hmm. it's a little unclear sometimes with some of the people they kind like some of them look a little bit similar but overall like i i think they prioritized clarity over you know uh some sort of like artistic quality and i think that was the right choice i was also going to mention to people um first of all this game has a demo on steam if you're not sure if this thing is for you you know maybe you look at the graphics and you're you think uh, i don't know if i'm going to be into this or maybe you're not sure if you need another roguelike deck builder in your life uh, you can download the demo on steam for free obviously and um, this thing is on uh, windows mac and uh, steam os and runs great on a steam deck if you happen to be playing on one of those 
I'd also say if you happen to be, uh, if you, if you've purchased a bunch of, uh, bundles on itch.io in the past, check your library there. It, uh, Luck Be a Landlord was included in at least one. I, I haven't bought like every bundle that's been on itch, but I bought some of the bigger ones and there was an indie bundle for Palestinian aid last year. And this game was included in that. So I, I ended up, it turned out all, I already owned this. Uh, through that bundle. So if you've bought some itch bundles in the past, especially if you remember buying the uh, bundle for Palestinian aid, go check your itch library. It may already be in there. I'm just now scrolling through the list of mods for the first time. And I am just, (laughs) I'm so confused. Why are there over 200 mods for this game? (laughs) Why is it so hot? I mean, it must just be really easy to mod, right? Like, what what would the mods be? You know, there's there's a, a little, like, icon and some kind of little rule about what it does. Yeah. You know, this would be a great first game to mod. You know, there's there's a mod that just takes all the capsule items and makes them look like Among Us. <laughs> <laughs> there's, and there's, sure. there's much more complicated ones that had add whole new mechanics as well. But yeah. a lot of these are just art swaps. That's cool. I, I'm not surprised that it's it's got a big following though. I mean, I, I this game really clicked for me, and I, I really in, have, have been having a lot of fun playing it. You know, I think we we do a lot of um, you know the the more narrative based games and and the more like we we cover a lot of games that tackle interesting and complicated subjects, and I think you know generally I prefer that. Uh, in as, as a gaming experience and it's one of my favorite things about this show but sometimes i just want to sit down and play like a pure <laughs> and pull like, that lever yeah well it's more like just it's purely, me- it's purely mechanics you know it's mm-hmm. purely like i love deck building drafting as shame it's like my favorite game mechanic and this game takes that and boils it down to an incredibly simple but also like like flopping 20 symbols at the same time it's it's there's no other game that matches that degree of like dopamine when it comes yeah. to, to deck building and i really enjoy it and i'm always looking for good uh we did like our entire we did that multitasking episode not that long ago this would be a good game for multitasking i mean i i definitely yeah. played this on my steam deck while doing other things totally. it was perfect for that because it's you can spin you can put it down spin but it, like you it, there's no need for like in, intense focus frankly I, i'd be really surprised if this doesn't make its way to mobile this would be a great mobile game it plays great yeah. on the steam deck and i think even if you're you know going to sit at a computer and play it this is going to be a great thing to have like on a window in the background yeah. hide it when your boss walks up behind you kind of vibe <laughs> but like this would also be a really good mobile game if he ports it yeah i i think i'd be It'd be tricky, I think, maybe to fit all the symbols in a readable way on like a phone, but it would be perfect for iPad or any sort of tablet where you could really get a good get all the symbols. I think the main concern would be if you try to sell this game on a phone, most people looking at it in the app store would assume that it was a low rent real money slot machine that's trying to get you to buy. Yeah, I was going to say this. This might uh, this might be a little bit too close to home uh, as a mobile game (laughs) yeah (laughs) if you want to live in the uh, rent-seeking capitalist uh, app store (laughs) yeah then if i can't have my 200 plus mods that do nothing but add shadows to the (laughs) icons or add a coffee machine and i don't want it why do all the symbols have titties (laughs) <laughs> I need I need yeah, to find if there's a mod that puts the uh puts the switches the Y button with the trigger so I can get that uh pull in the pull in the lever yeah. feel. You need to you need to build yourself a custom lever controller for this mm-hmm. game, Shane. Obviously. Come on. This game would be kind of hilarious uh built into an actual slot machine, uh, I gotta say. That would be pretty cool as like, the, like an mm-hmm. arcade version of this. Where yeah, you put I would, in your coin. That'd be pretty wild. I would play. I'd play the shit out of this at Dave and Buster's. Oh <laughs> man, if this was a coin redemption game, oh no. Yeah, give me tickets, dude. Yeah. Um. So that's all we have to say. I think for now about luck be a landlord again it is 9.99 it's on steam it's on humble it's on itch.io if you go if you buy it on itch you'll get a steam key 
and the developer will keep more of your money. So if you're going to buy this game, I would say give that a try. If you haven't bought on itch before, this would be a great first game to, to, to check out there. And you can still get your Steam key if you want. Um, and uh, I really recommend it. Again, it's from Trampoline Tales. Yeah. Do we have time for some what's making us happy this week? Yeah, I think so. And I also just want to say, um, you know, I really think that if we as a society just got together and ate one billionaire, that would probably bring some major change. Like we just need to publicly eat one billionaire. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, look at each and every other billionaire and say you're next. I think it would be implied. I don't even think we'd have to say you're next. I think if we just ate them on like live TV, they would probably, you know, make things a little bit better. But Anyway, uh, what's making me happy, I... uh, (laughs) Thanks, Nate. (laughs) I played a board game uh, (gasps) uh, actually twice in the last... Oh, man, mine's a board game, too. Nice. Oh, Oh, we haven't... I'll go in the middle so we don't have have back-to-back board games. Go ahead. What if if it's the same board game? Um, So I played... And they played it together. (laughs) Shane, I said I was going to do it, not you. Um, No, it's called Scythe. Have either of you heard of this? Dude, I, I have. I have wanted to play Scythe for years. I've never actually gotten to. Yeah, so I do. Uh, normally, Thursday nights are D&D nights. Um, but the last couple months have been difficult scheduling. So it's become board game night with a smaller group. And we've played Scythe twice in the last uh, month, which has been really fun. Um, with a more complicated board game, that second game is always like the really good one, you know, the first one you're figuring out the mechanics. And then the second one is where everyone kind of knows what they're doing. And it's, it's more fun, but, um, Scythe is, is an interesting game. It takes place in a sort of, uh, fictionalized Eurasia landscape, uh, right around, uh, like post, you know, world war one, pre-world war two, sort of universe, all fictionalized, um, where, it is a world that is sort of at war for the various resources. And also there are giant mechs, which is always cool. And it's uh, it's a modern board game. So it has great tokens and figurines. And everybody who plays gets multiple little fully cast plastic uh, mech units that they get to put on the board. And it's an interesting balance between like a worker placement game and a... Um, like a territory control game that kind of hard to um, make sound particularly interesting in a podcast. But if you enjoy more complex board games that really make you think about not just the worker placement element, but like pre um, like predicting what your other teammates are going to do or the other players in the game are going to do, even if you have very little direct interaction, it's a lot of fun. It's a complicated game and I, I highly recommend it. It's called scythe. Um, that sounds really fun. Yeah. Um, I have, uh, I have not played any board games, uh, this week, but I, I did get a cool new, uh, toy that I wanted to recommend. Oh, I love uh, cool new toys. Yes, and I'm not sure whether this will be relevant to uh, anyone else on this podcast, nor, uh, listener, whether this will be relevant to you, but I thought I would share it. Finally got that Red Rider BB gun. (laughs) Finally. Yeah, no, what I got, and I'm going to hold it up, but this won't make good radio, so I'll describe it. Uh, Can can either of you guys tell what this is, just by looking at it? That is a Doctor Who prop. (laughs) It is not. This is a Pinesel. The Pinesel... I've wanted to get one of these for a long time and I never got around to it, but I was doing us, I was doing some soldering recently and I decided it would finally be a good opportunity for me to pick up the pine soul, the pine, pine soul, the yes, pine soul, pine I, I keep saying it because it's a, it's a weird word. Uh, it's like pine, pine soul. Pencil, like, yeah, pine. it's from a company called pine. They make like a bunch of, um, open source hardware products, including like a pine book laptop. But, um, one of their neatest little things is they also make this thing called the pine soul, which is a mini portable soldering iron that runs off of, uh, USB-C. You can also run it off of a DC power supply, but it's the coolest soldering iron I've ever owned. And I've owned a few soldering irons. Um, and so basically, I would say that this is the soldering iron to get if you are a hobbyist solder and not doing it professionally, no matter who you are. They're very inexpensive. Uh, they cost about 25 bucks directly from Pine Solar. You can 
uh, you can buy them on Amazon for a little bit of a premium. Um, if you don't, you know, if you don't want to wait, cause they do a kind of a rolling restocking kind of thing through their own website. It's, uh, to give you an idea of the, the look of it, like imagine something that's about the size and weight of like literally a pencil, or maybe like if you have something like an Apple pencil with an iPad, it sort of feels kind of like that. It's a little thicker. It has a tiny little OLED screen on it. And rather than unlike most soldering irons I've owned, it's not like a little like, um, soldering iron connected by a large wire to kind of a big bulky power supply thing where all the uh, all the controls are you know my first soldering iron uh was not temperature controlled you plugged it in it was just like a, a like a dumb you plug it into the wire and it wall and it, it heated up to a fixed temperature you hoped and it would take a long time to get up to that temperature later i got i spent a bunch of money on a nice soldering iron that was much more expensive than the Pinesel and was, uh, you know, temperature controlled. You could set exactly what temperature you want. That makes a huge difference when you're doing fine soldering, had replaceable tips, um, rather than just being something you throw away after the, the tips get bad. Um, and that I was pretty happy with that, that soldering iron, but the Pinesel is even better and even cheaper than my nice soldering iron. Um, it's small, it's lightweight, you, it doesn't have a giant bulky, uh, bulky box that does the temperature control and power supply. It uses any USB-C PD power supply. You just plug in a USB-C cable to it and it will run. So that means you literally, if I wanted to go solder outside, I could plug this into a USB-C battery pack and do that, uh, if I wanted or anywhere. It's very easy. And, um, all the smarts, it's got a little CPU inside the soldering iron. So you can use a little, little buttons on the soldering iron itself to control the temperature. It has an accelerometer in it and can tell what position it's in. So you can, it'll do things like go to sleep automatically for safety. If you set it down, um, uh, it's, uh, it's got like, uh, it's like, it sounds really cool. I, I don't think, I don't think I need to hear any more about its power management capability. (laughs) Fine. Uh, it does sound super awesome. (laughs) I knew this was going to be boring for everybody, but me. No, it's cool though. I love it. I played hero quest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the, I, I, this is my, my endorsement for the Pinesel. It's really cheap. It's an amazing soldering iron. Uh, and there's a bunch of other cool stuff that you can read about on their website. Tell me one cool thing you've soldered. Uh, so I, I bought this to, uh, I'm working on a, um, a power Mac or sorry, not power Mac, a Macintosh LC two that I'm trying to get repaired. Oh, sweet. So, so I'm so glad you apologize too. Yeah. yeah. So the, um, so I, I, I bought a junkyard special, like broken, uh, Macintosh LC two that I've been trying to get up and working again. Um, and so far I've replaced all of its capacitors on the main board that hasn't hundred percent fixed the issue. I replaced its clock uh, crystal because I think that the issue I was having uh, might be related to an aging clock crystal that improved it but hasn't 100% solved it my next project is to recap its power supply and then we'll see so it, it, if that doesn't work then I've just wasted a bunch of time and 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 uh, and capacitors but uh, it we're getting there I'm trying to trying to get a, a working Mac for, for like run some 90s software sweet I remember that era of Macs the little uh, the they were boxes. the pizza boxes that were they were the right size to support your large CRT display that you would chunk down on top of it, all mm-hmm. in beautiful beige. I I love it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's uh, that's my recommendation. If you ever need a soldering iron, get a Pinesel. If you need it professionally, there's better stuff. But this is the best for a hobbyist that I've mm-hmm. ever seen. It's fantastic. If you need a soldering iron professionally, and you're listening to this podcast, just hoping that Reagan will drop a uh, legitimate uh, soldering iron recommendation that will help you make your working life decisions, uh, then you are disappointed, my friend. Uh, but if you're not that person, get the pine soul. <laughs> Shane, what's making you happy this week? <laughs> <laughs> Giving you shit about your pine soul. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, the thing that's really making me happy this week um, is that last week, uh, last Thursday, I got a chance to bust out for the first time in many years, Hero Quest, uh, which is back. Hell yeah! And uh, first off, this was a really wonderful birthday gift from Reagan. Uh, it takes a while right. to get the right number of people together to play Hero Quest. Although, actually, having having really gone through it, I think Hero Quest would work quite well for just two players. But it's t- really two to five. Um, for those of you who may never have seen this, it back in the like late eighties, uh, I believe like 
89 or, you know, early nineties, uh, Milton Bradley and games workshop. So that's the board game people and the people that brought you Warhammer, uh, got together to make a board game, uh, that was basically D and D in a box. And it was very simplified dungeons and dragons, uh, in a little, um, little dungeon that you would build piece by piece out of really cool little dungeon tiles and elements. And this game had a very rare thing at the time, a complete collection of absolutely awesome minis little. This is what I remember most about the game. Cause we had it when we were kids and the miniatures, like we played the game a handful of times, but I must've looked at those miniatures a zillion times. They were incredible. And, it had also uh, a lot of really wonderful elements to it, like the not just the miniatures, but the furniture. A lot of that in yes. the original was was made out of cardboard and stuff, but really cleverly made. It didn't. It held up to some pretty intensive play. Um, it would be like little uh, shelves full of potions and books and desks and uh, a coffin that you could put the vampire inside of and things like that. And uh, the new like one will like build a dungeon set yeah. and mm-hmm. like e- even even after people probably quit playing the, uh, you know, the hero quest game. If you were a and d player, they were st- it was still like a pretty viable set of stuff to For use. Sure. Mm-hmm. It was. And the minis were great. Um, miniatures from that era have a really particular charm because the, the sculpt that they would use for miniatures back then, especially on something like this that was injection molded plastic, uh, was a lot lower in detail than what you see on miniatures today. So if you get a miniature uh, today, the the level of the resolution, so to speak, was is out it, incredible. Uh, but then it, everything had to be suggested. It was really really rough sculpted, and it just led to these little dudes like the skeletons, you know, with a real mean look holding a scythe above their head. And these like chunky little dudes were so fun to play with. But the <laughs> new game, I have to say, a lot of fun. Uh, essentially, it's the same game there. They, they haven't made a lot of changes, except there's new minis and, and things like that. But it's, it seems like to me, uh, a perfect does it still have the, like really simple like d6 combat where it's like it does it does that's exactly the same um and i played it with a full group uh except in the way the game is balanced there are four characters that you play with there's a um a wizard an elf a dwarf and a barbarian and uh the game's kind of balanced for all four so however many players you have, you know, you 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 kind of divide up the characters that you are going to control. Um, and then one player will play as Zardoz, the wizard, who's the one that controls all the bad guys. <laughs> this is kind of this thing's version of the dungeon master. Nice. Um, it's very much a tactical game. Like the, the players move from room to room, um, revealing the rooms. The coolest part of the game is the way that it's... Um, it, it it uses this kind of flat game board, but every time you go um, into a hallway or a room, you can see um, through the kind of line of sight where all the doors and, and things like that are. And uh, there are little miniature doors that are fantastic. You just put them right where they are. And there's miniatures to represent a closed or an open door. And the gameplay mostly uh, is kicking down doors, killing all the monsters in the room, and then searching the room for loot. Uh, and that's a really satisfying I little know. little loop. Yeah, what and, more could you want yeah. than that? Um, Especially the, in 1989, man. Yeah. Uh, the the thing about this as a game is that, I mean, the original was kind of made for kids. I remember we played it a, quite a few times, not as often as I played with the, the little minis and stuff. But um, if the players work together, they can usually win uh, because a, a lot with the the way the combat works out, it's a matter of just like get your opponents to one of those many doors as a choke point and just kind of, you know, uh, get in more attacks than they get. And uh, eventually you'll do all right. But um, yeah, and, and you'll level up and, and get stronger as you go. I have to say, I played this with some of my good friends, people I've played D&D with, people who I know know how to play D&D. And um, I tried to talk someone else into being Zardoz, but I, I was Zardoz. 
Uh, and of course, uh, it was a total party kill, and I may never get to play this game again. Oh no! <laughs> they they ended up kind of running around in a circle and like stretched out in this long hallway, and I managed to get monsters in between all of them. So I was getting like more hits on them than they were on the monsters, and and that's kind of what it takes to to lose in Hero Quest: get split up, uh, get the party in different spots, and uh, then that uh, the gargoyle comes out and he just fucking wrecks shop so there you go but <laughs> my review is it's great it's a fun time uh, i need more friends that i have that i can trick into playing it with me um that that ha- i haven't stomped at hero quest well hopefully if they all hate hero quest you can just bring the the gargoyle out at an opportune moment in a D campaign and they'll all recognize him and go oh no that mm-hmm. guy I think if one player played all of the heroes, it would be a little bit on the complicated side, but not not too bad, and uh, it would it would play pretty well as um, as like a one v one with one person doing Zardoz and, and the other doing all four of the heroes. Well, I'm glad it got some play. To be honest, I bought that for you mostly out of nostalgia because I thought it would be fun to look at the minis. Um, it is and. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad it got at least some play. I was I was thinking like, well, maybe he'll never play this, but maybe he'll use the minis in D and D or something. So, and I will. These, if if that's what you're thinking for this, it's great for that. That it is a it is a bunch of really um, basic monsters and furniture and really useful stuff like door markers uh, in a box, and it's fantastic. Awesome. Well. That's it for this week's episode of The Short Game. Thank you for joining us. You can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net or shortgame.omg.lol. And uh, all of our contact options are on the omg.lol page. So that's a good place to find us. But we're on Twitter at underscore short game. And we're on Mastodon at short game at zork.social. And uh, let's see. We are also on Patreon. This show is supported by you, the listeners on Patreon. Thank you for your support. And if you'd like to join the hordes of listeners supporting us on Patreon, paying for our hosting and servers and whatnot, you can join them by going to patreon.com slash the short game. And if you support us at even a dollar a month, uh, which is nothing, uh, then you'll get instant access to our Discord, which is where we talk about the show, talk about the games that we're playing. It's a good place to go if you want to talk us into playing your favorite game. Uh, so go do that. And uh, let's see, you can find me on Mastodon. I'm Reagan, R-A-Y-G-A-N, uh, at bird.rodeo. And uh, Nate, where can people find you? Uh, guillotine Billionaires. Yes. On Twitter, at NateSTL. And on Mastodon now, though I'm still getting used to it, uh, what is it? Nate at bird.rodeo. <laughs> and Shane, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Mastodon. I'm at 8BitShane at mstdn.social, which <laughs> and is such a mouthful. <laughs> hey, you know, if you if you want to mer- move to, to the, the bird.rodeo domain, uh, Laura and Nate are on there now. Um, when we first got you sh- say, set up, Shane, I was on a lower tier plan on uh, on the, the Mastodon host that I was on, and I was concerned that uh, the wheels would fall off, but now I'm pretty sure it's solid. So if you ever want to move over, we could all be on bird.rodeo for the convenience of the listeners. Um, let's see. Uh, and that's it. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll see you next week on The Short Game. <laughs>